And I want to spend some time with you this morning thinking about uh, humbling and healing, but that's only really a subset of a much broader subject, and that has to do with the human condition in the heart of God. Because the human condition requires healing, and the heart of God brings humbling to all of us who need healing, and we all do. And the story that suggests that to me this morning from the Word of God is found in 2 Kings chapter 5. And it's a familiar story to some of our school children. They probably studied it already this year if they're over at Timothy, or perhaps you've read it in family devotions. And some of us have lived with this story for a very long time. And it's one of these things that um, if you read through often enough, you begin to become a bit numb to some of the nuances of the story and how it might suggest itself to us. So I, I just, you may have heard this often, but once more we turn to this familiar passage and ask God to open our heart and speak to us in ways that we need to hear this morning as members of this congregation. So 2 Kings chapter 5, I'm going to read the first 14 verses. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram, He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier and he had leprosy. Now bands from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel and she served as Naaman's wife and she said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. And the letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me? When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me. He will know there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house, and Elisha sent a messenger to him to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy? Are not the Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? And so he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more than when he calls you tells you, wash and be cleansed. So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. And this is the word of the Lord. 
Naaman, I think, gets a bum rap in the history of preaching, probably in my own preaching ministry. I've told this story a number of times over the years, and I'm not sure I always told it with the sensitivity to Naaman that I might have had, should have had, and probably have at this a more advanced age and having been through humbling circumstances as we all do in the course of our lives. By all accounts, he was a great man. He would be known as great in our world. He would be known as great in our culture. He would be known as great in the military structure of our nation. He was a commander of the army of Aram. Aram was the nation of Syria 2,800 years ago. And as prominent as Syria is in the headlines of today's world, so prominent was Aram in the headlines of Israel 2,800 years ago. They knew each other well as neighbors and as enemies. In fact, in the next two chapters, 6 and 7, there is the account of conflict between Aram and Israel. They knew who they were as neighbors. And no doubt they knew who Naaman was because he had won a reputation as a military leader of some note. When he put on his dress uniform and had all the ribbons, all the medals, they were for combat. They were for leadership. They represented something real, not something insignificant. And so when he was seen either in Syria, Aram, or in Israel, people understood this was a man to be reckoned with. Not only had he gained a military reputation, he had formed political allies. He was friend with the king. And when you have a military leader who is politically connected, you have a person who is to be reckoned with. The first president that I remember being elected was in 1952 when Dwight David Eisenhower was elected president of the United States. And on a flickering black and white small round screen, we sat in a school auditorium watching this military hero become leader of the nation. And the reason I remember that is because this great hero of the Second World War had formed political alliances that brought him to the presidency of our nation. And I think of Naaman as the kind of leader that Eisenhower might have been, respected, well-known, victorious, with a reputation that was impeccable. He was someone to be reckoned with. But, says the scripture, but he had leprosy. In spite of how we are seen publicly, and in spite of the kind of people we appear to be superficially, there is this, however, in the life of nearly every person, certainly most of us in this room, those issues with which we deal the things that wake us up at three in the morning, the problems we understand that nobody else seems to have a handle on, the challenges that seem insurmountable to us while others hardly recognize them. And so it was with Naaman. Everyone may have seen him as this victorious conquering hero, 
but he saw himself as a man who needed healing. He had leprosy. Now, the word leprosy in this context means a skin disease. It's not precisely known whether it was Hansen's disease, as we would know leprosy today, but certainly it was the kind of condition that had a major impact on his life and no doubt meant serious things for his future. It was a huge concern for him, and we know that because it was a huge concern for his household. In fact, one of the maids in Naaman's household had so much concern for her master that she talked to her mistress about it. This maid was a young girl who had been taken captive by the army of Aram, Syria, and she was an Israelite. Now, that tells you something about Naaman's family, his home, the people who surrounded him. If he was cared enough for by someone who is a maid in his house who had been taken captive, then surely it is a comment on his character. This young girl says to her mistress, you know, if only my master would go to Samaria, which is enemy territory, there's a prophet there who could heal him of his leprosy. I think at this moment, Naaman's star rises even higher in my understanding because apparently his wife talked to him and said, you know, this young lady says, our maid says, if you'd go to Samaria, there's somebody there who could help you. And Naaman listened to his wife. Not all men do that. Especially not all men whose wives say to them, honey, I think you should see a doctor. And some of you guys are getting a little nudge. Um, and you say, I don't need to see no doctor. I'm be, you, know, you know how that goes in husband-wife conversation? Naaman had good sense to listen to his wife who listened to her maid. And because of that, he then reaches out to the king of Israel. And once again, the way in which he reaches out shows his connections, right? Because he speaks to his boss, who is the king of Syria, Aram, and says, I hear there's somebody in Israel that could help me. Would you be willing to reach out to him? And the king says, I'll do whatever you want. I'll write a letter. So imagine this. A commander of the army has his commander-in-chief write a letter to an opposing king asking for help. It's an indication of who Naaman was in that world and how well he was thought of. And now the story takes an interesting twist. Joram is the king of Israel at this time. We learned earlier in the book of Kings, right? Joram is in Samaria in his palace, and he gets a letter from the king of Aram. And he opens it, and it says, Would you heal my servant Naaman? And instantly, Joram takes this upon himself. Now, just let me hit the pause button for just a second. What is it about the human condition that some of us carry deep within us when we hear something, immediately the first impact is how this is going to impact my life, how this is going to mess up my schedule, how this is going to change my day, how this is going to make trouble for me. There is, I think, I think it's, it may be either insecurity, it may be pride, but there is something in some of us 
that instantly sees an issue in its impact personally rather than the issue as it really is. And so Joram gets the letter and he stomps around the palace and he rips his robe and he says, why is he doing this to me? He just wants to make trouble. I'm supposed to heal somebody. And now comes the the grace of God in this wonderful story, right? In the person of Elisha the prophet. Because Elisha hears about the king and he says to him, really? Really? Like this is about you? Like you're supposed to do something? This isn't about you. Send him to me. I'll let him know there is a God in Israel who can take care of this. Naaman gets the message. And he makes his way to Elisha's house. Howard Vanderwell, a pastor in the Christian Reformed Church, paints a wonderful picture of Naaman coming to Elisha's house. He says, I picture Naaman living in a broken down trailer out in the desert someplace. Or or Elisha living in a broken down trailer out in the desert someplace. And here comes Naaman, the great leader of the army, and he's waving the letter that his, his, his introduction to Elisha the prophet, and behind him is all the silver and all the clothing and all the stuff that's supposed to guarantee his healing. And this huge entourage comes to the humble dwelling of Elisha. And there stands Naaman waiting for his miracle. And now the trouble starts. Elisha, in the house, doesn't bother to come out. He sends out a servant. It remains true to this day that Mideastern hospitality extends itself beyond all bounds of reason, certainly to people like us. You know, we sometimes have a hard time opening our home to people we don't know, and probably a wise thing in our culture. But in that culture, in that day, and to this day, when a visitor comes, that visitor is welcomed. My wife and I were once sitting in a Bedouin tent outside of Bethlehem, and the host of the meal that we were having in this tent out in the desert said to us that the rules of hospitality in our culture are different than they are in your culture. He said, in fact, in our culture, it is impolite to ask a visitor why he's there and what he wants until he's been with you three days. I'm thinking, really? (laughs) Three days? We're just going to kind of hang out together and have tea and do this kind of social dance until you can ask me what I want? But that's hospitality in the Mideast to this day, and we have little reason to believe that it changed dramatically since the days of Elisha and Naaman. So you would have expected that Elisha would come out and say, so good to see you. Come in, let's have some tea together. Sit down, let me take care of this. But he doesn't. He sends out a servant, and he says, now here's what you have to do to be healed. You know this irritates Naaman because the first thing he says is, I thought he would come out, but he didn't. It's like, where's the prophet inside? Who'd he send out? A servant. What am I supposed to do? Here's what you have to do. And things go from bad to worse because he's told that in order to be healed, he's got to go wash himself in the Jordan River seven times. Naaman was a man who um, grew up 
next to rivers. And in Damascus, his hometown, there were a couple rivers that could serve equally well as the Jordan River. It was like uh, living next to the Mississippi and being told you have to wash in Salt Creek. You know, really? This is what I'm supposed to do? There are better rivers back home and you're asking me to do this? No wonder he was irritated, put out, not only by the way he had been received, but by his diagnosis for his healing. And so he storms off in a rage. But I think, again, it's the grace of God that melts a heart when another servant speaks and says, you know, if you don't mind, could I tell you something? If he had asked you to do something incredible, you would have killed yourself to do it. And all you have to do is wash in this river, and you're not willing to do that. And Naaman has this moment, you know, that just breaks him. What was I thinking? And the text says he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan River. And he came up with a flesh of a young boy. Look at these hands, 68 years old sometimes. I think, when did I get the hands of an old man? And you look at the hands of a grandchild sometimes who sits with you in church maybe, or a young kid, and you see the skin that's tight and fresh and healthy, and you think, wow, what would it be like to have an illness like leprosy and walk away like a teenager? Amazing, amazing. So what's the point? In a, um, in a sermon that Jesus preached, in fact, the first sermon he preached in Luke chapter 4, he's in his hometown, and this is that great scene when he's in the synagogue and he asks for the scroll and they give him the Isaiah scroll and he opens it and he talks about this day when everything's going to change and then he rolls the scroll back up and hands it to the attendant in the synagogue and he says, today's the day, guys. Today, this is fulfilled in your hearing, right? The kingdom of God has come in a new way. Jesus is preaching in his hometown and the people are absolutely blown away by his message and they say, well, wait a minute. Isn't this, isn't this Jesus, the carpenter's son? And as the conversation in the temple continues, Jesus talks about Naaman. Listen to what he says in Luke 4, 24. I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his, home, in his hometown. I assure you, he says, that there were many widows in Israel in, in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And now listen. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. And then they really got mad at him because they were the Israelites and they knew the enemy and they did not like what he was hearing. 
what, what they were hearing, what he was saying. So what is he saying? Jesus talks about the human condition, the condition that the people he grew up with lived with as well as the people of Naaman's day lived with as well as the people today live with. The truth that there is an illness that sweeps through the human community that takes so very many forms. It's a way of saying somehow, somewhere, someplace, we're all sick. We are. Some of us physically, you know that well. Some of us emotionally, we can't climb out of the dark pit in which we find ourselves. Some of us spiritually, it's like the truth of God bounces off our thick spiritual hide and won't penetrate. Some of us relationally, there are people around us we can't stand. There are relatives we avoid. There are church members we turn away from. Some of our illness is self-inflicted. It's created by patterns of abuse or misuse or simply wandering that have brought us to frightening places. Some of our illness is inflicted upon us by circumstances far beyond our control. We live perfectly, and yet we're not well. But we're all sick. The human condition is afflicted by sin that manifests itself in so many ways. Jesus understood that. And he looked at the people in his hometown and he says, that's you folks. Like I'm looking at myself and you're looking at yourself and we're saying, that's us folks. Like you could have looked at all of those in Israel in Naaman's day and said, that's you people. But only one. Naaman, a Syrian, was healed. An outsider. He didn't belong. You wouldn't expect it. It couldn't be. It shouldn't be. But the grace of God does so often what cannot and should not and we think will not. And yet the grace of God reaches into the broken lives of broken people and brings healing, cleansed by the blood that flows from Jesus the Savior. Naaman the Syrian found what the Israelites did not, many of them. In the earlier part of 2 Kings, there is the story of another king, Ahaziah is his name. And Ahaziah fell and hurt himself badly. And if you read, I think it's 2 Kings chapter 1, could be chapter 2. If you read the story, he is hurting so bad, he wants to be healed. And you know what the king of Israel did when he wanted to be healed? He went to the pagan god Baal and asked, can you heal me? And Elijah the prophet said, don't you have a God? You have to go to the God Baals above in order to find healing. So the Israelites reach beyond into the world they should have never gone into, 
looking for things that are not there, while the world far from God, by the grace of God, is brought in to find a healing that only God can provide. I guess you get the point, right? I guess we get the point. We're all different people with different stories and different problems. But we all need healing somewhere, somehow, some way. The Word of God says, as the Heidelberg Catechism sums it up, that the sin that is ours so affects us that we are inclined toward all evil and incapable of doing any good. We can't fix what's wrong with us. The question is, where do we go for healing? How are we going to find that? Where will we look for hope and strength and courage and grace and healing? By the providence of God, who directs all affairs, by the providence of God, there is hope and healing, not only for Naaman Assyrian, but for the children of Israel, the people of God, people like you, people like me, people who are far from God, people we do not yet know. The second week of January, Celia and I were in Plaquemin Parish, Louisiana. We were in an African Methodist Episcopal church. Two white faces in 300 African American worshipers. We were there for a funeral service for Mrs. Deloche. Mrs. Deloche was the mother of an inmate of the Angola, of the Louisiana State Prison in Angola. Her son, Sidney, is in his 33rd year of a 60-some year sentence. He's now my age. It's unlikely that he will ever live to see freedom. And yet, the warden of the prison agreed that he could go to his mother's funeral 100 miles or so from the prison, and Celia and I, because we love this man and we have deep bonds with that ministry, we decided we'd go down and see Pastor Sidney at that occasion. I felt like a Syrian in the company of Israelites. And yet it was a moment of such incredible grace and power and beauty in a place I never expected to be, with people I never expected to know, in circumstances I can hardly understand, that all you could do was shake your head, walking away and saying, only God, only you could do something like this for people like us in places like this. Now, I don't know where you find the stories of grace. I don't know the lives you look to or the people you look at when you need to hear a word that brings light and hope and life. But here's one. His name is Naaman. And the reason you should remember his name is because Naaman somehow by faith knew Jesus. Knew that there is a God in heaven who reaches into a human community and humbles people so that they may find healing. That's my hope and my prayer. 
that everybody here from the, the back row to the front, the right to the left, every one of us would have come to Jesus Christ to know that in him my brokenness is healed, my sins are forgiven, I have a hope, I have a future, I have a savior. Find your healing in Jesus. There's nobody else. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.